Welcome to Why in the World. My name is Ben Shepherd. If you haven't already, please do rate, review and subscribe. And today is the first of a two-parter from Brendan Rendell. Now, Brendan has got one of the most crazy stories I think I have ever heard from the party scene in Manchester, where he was consumed by drink and drugs to a person that last year ran coast to coast across the continent of Africa and is planning something even bigger Brendan truly is a very, very inspirational human being, and I really enjoyed his company. So, without further ado, this is Brendan Rendell on Why in the World. So we are sitting in Manchester. I am with Brendan Rendell. Hello, man. Hey, good evening. <laughs> How are you? I'm not bad. Just got back from work. Now I'm chatting to you. Yes, and I'm very, very thankful that you have uh, chosen to come on. I really do appreciate it. I want to get straight into it because there is so much I want to talk about. Okay. So much. Right. I've done a few things, mate. Um, <laughs> I want to start with why you run. Oh. Where did this whole love affair for running start? Yeah. So, um, for people that don't know my story, it started in 2006. Um, I was 27, and it was a bet between a group of friends uh, to run a half marathon. Um, It was the Wilmslow Half Marathon. So I'd never ran before, didn't know anything about running. Um, So up until 27, from the age of 17, my life was a cycle of self-destructive behaviour. I left school with only two GCSEs. I then went on to college. I failed my driving. I didn't feel like I was good at anything. By the age of 16, I was a four to two inch kind of waist. Uh, me and my mum would joke in the day when I used to have to buy elasticated trousers. Um, I struggled academically. That obviously affected my confidence and I sort of became a comfort eater. So going, coming into Manchester, I taught my way on to a degree, an art degree, but then I hadn't got an art background. So that didn't, again, I felt like I wasn't good at anything. So my life for 10 years really was a cycle of self-destructive behaviour. And for 10 years, really, you know, it took me six years to get a three-year degree. But really, I kind of lost myself on the Manchester club scene, drink, drugs. And my life was really kind of spiralling a little bit out of control. So going back to the bet, I used to get up in a hoodie in the dark so no one could see me, paranoid. And I used to go from lamppost to lamppost. I, I hated it. I thought, what was the point? And then after a few weeks, something happened. It gave me a structure and a discipline, something that I never really had before. Um, and then as, as the weeks went on, I stopped the drinking, stopped the partying. And that discipline of getting up and running before work, not only did I get to work a lot more awake, but then I started to face up to my debts. And sort of this was the start then of this incredible life of adventure. So three months later, um, I completed the Wilmslow Half. I didn't run with the GPS watch, I just ran. I mean, I, the last three miles of Wilmslow was hell. I mean, I remember my legs were killing and I crossed the line and my immediate thought was how on earth does anyone ever <laughs> run a marathon? Because to run that course again would be crazy. And the following day, I, I lived on a, in a flat so we had to go down one set of stairs. And as anyone's run a, a run and really pushed at their first race, my God, avoid stairs. I had to go down backwards. <laughs> Particularly going down. Going down seems to be worse than going up yeah. every time. Oh my God, I went down backwards. It was so painful. Um, and I completed the Wilmslow Half Marathon in 1 hour 24. Um, so that was the start of me realising that I was quite... Once I did a bit of research, that was mm. quite a, a, quite a, a good, good time. time. Yeah, so that was the start of me then getting into several years of racing. Yeah. 
that's an unbelievable time to do as your first one. That's no. absolutely unbelievable. I know. And then I ran the Manchester 10K. In, so that was the March, end of March. And then I ran the Manchester 10K end of May. Okay. And I did 35 minutes. So 38 minutes. Sorry. 38. Let's get that right. 38 <laughs> minutes. 05. But I, those two races, I never ran with a running watch. I used to just run. Run by feel. Just run by feel. And looking back, I think I'm going to introduce some of that kind of training into yeah. to the next phase. But yeah, I think sometimes running by feel is something that is underrated. And people do get very technological with running sometimes. And sometimes it is nice just to draw it back to what running actually is. Essentially putting one foot in front of the other yeah. and getting to a place that you need to be. Going yeah. from A to B. Actually, going from A to B is something that you do quite a lot now. Because it's gone from pace to distance well it did take a while because i then when i raced for two years and i got kind of really into it so i stopped all the drinking and i kind of got into the gym and i lost an awful lot of weight and went right right down to sort of 12 stone and i got my half down to 122 my 10k to 37 minutes 31 and then it was really a trip to malawi in africa in 2008, I bumped into a friend that I used to go clubbing with, and he said, oh, Brennan, you're looking really healthy. What's happened? I said, well, you're never going to guess. <laughs> What's happened? <laughs> yeah, he's like, he's like, God, you're looking so healthy. And I was like, well, I've stopped partying. I've stopped. And he said, oh, there's a team that's cycling across Malawi in Africa. So I signed up, and it was like a tick list in some ways. It was like, okay, I've kind of got my degree. I'm okay with my job. Maybe I should go to London and follow my degree. And this charity thing was like another tick like we do. Mm. Um, And I spent three weeks in Malawi. And it's one of the poorest countries in the world. There's estimated one million orphans. Um, And we cycled across. And I never witnessed that level of poverty before. Um, We went to a resource centre. We went to a woman's refuge where their crops had failed. One woman had been raped. Um, And it was just another level. But it wasn't until I came back to Manchester. And I remember I was working at Adidas at the time in the management team and I sat in the outside the triangle and it was like I was not part of this world anymore I was watching people coming out of Harvey Nichols out of Selfridges and I thought we've got all of this stuff but I couldn't weigh it up with all these kids in Malawi that be running next to us cycling across but they've got nothing but in a way they had a happiness that we will never understand and I kind of felt you have one life and I thought what am I doing so I my heart was completely, and my head was completely in Malawi. So I did some research, um, and I went back the following year um, to Friends of Malandji Orphans. So that's a charity that supports three and a half thousand orphans, and that was a really behind these crazy runs that I've been on the last few years. Um, and I changed careers. I felt that I was really fortunate to live, be born in a world where I had opportunity, and I was making opportunities for myself. And it was about giving back. So I actually quit my job um, and started working with kids, children with learning difficulties and autism. Um, and I've been doing that job for the last 10 years. So that combination of returning from Malawi the second time kind of really inspired me and working with kids with autism that I wanted to do something bigger because every, lots of people are running a marathons and all of these things, which are all you know inspirational, all amazing. But I wanted to raise more money and I felt that by doing something bigger, I could raise more money. And that's when I came up with my first big challenge, which was to cycle John O'Groats to Land's End and then have one day off and run the London Marathon. So that was the start of me realising um, 
that I, because obviously when I took, I set off on World Autism Day and coming through Scotland, that was the start of me really getting sort of thriving on these challenges that you completely live in that moment. I wasn't thinking about the news tonight or this morning. It was completely engrossed in all of my senses. Coming through Scotland was just sort of magical through Glencoe and you felt alive. It was like you were shot out of a rocket. It was just an incredible feeling. And that's kind of kind of what I kind of look for on all of these challenges. Um, and then when I returned, um, I, re- I sorry, I completed the London Marathon. I was kind of wanting to do something bigger, but then I kind of decided that I wanted to travel the world. So I spent really two, between two and three years doing a lot of sort of travel, which was incredible. I saw, you know, you know, from the Amazon rainforest to lions in uh, Africa to uh, seeing tigers in India. So I returned in 215. I'd gained a bit of weight again. Um, and that sort of a battle being the last few years again. But even though I had an amazing time, I felt like I... I was thought for me personally was that I needed more purpose. So I thought I wanted to go back to Malawi where my heart was. I'd been raising money for pretty much, you know, several years. Um, and I wanted to, what better way to see a country than by foot. I could raise money and give back. And I wanted to give back to those children that first inspired me. Inspired me. Um, and I wanted to inspire other people that my story started you know, a little bit off the rails. And I was, you know, this life of travel and everything, you know, was, you know, in my late 20s. So I met Mary, the founder, and I said, uh, I want to run the length of Malawi. And she said, can you not cycle it? Would that not be a better idea? And I was like, yes, it would be a better idea. I don't (laughs) want to do that. And um, so we came up with the idea that I was going to run 25 marathons, 25 days. And the idea was to raise 35,000 to build the art and science block because they didn't have art and science. It was just, it would just be taught under a tree and that would finish their school. So that's how I came up with the, my first big run, which was 2016, to run the length of Malawi. So why Malawi? Why do you think that place has your heart so much? Because it's very obvious you're incredibly passionate yeah. about that place. Yeah. I've been, I've travelled, you know, I've been from India right across to South America. There's, well, it's known as the warm heart of Africa and it's... It has a happiness and it, obviously I'm not, you know, there's a lot of devastation and there's lots of, you know, stories when I ran it, you know, emotionally it was very hard. You weren't battling with covering a marathon every day. The stories just pulled your heartstring and it's, you know, when we watch Comic Relief and all of those pr- programmes, we get moved by it, but only for that hour. And then you turn it off and you desensitise from it. But because we we can't relate to it in some ways, but to see it day in, day out... And there's just something so very special. It's a it's an incredible country. The landscape's beautiful, and but it's the people. They are just they wherever I've gone, they just welcome me. And and in some ways, it's it's made me a better person. And for me, it's taught me what's important. And it's completely luck where you're born. And I just feel that those kids have given me everything. So it's kind of like a two way thing. I want to help as much as I can. And I have always set out that if you start to look at a country all over where do you start but if you can start small and if I can inspire one person and help one person and we start that domino effect then then we're doing good but there's just something in Malawi that's just so beautiful the the music the you know the singing that they do it's a very very special place the entire culture the whole the culture everything yeah so let's start there then with that challenge you've decided to run yeah. the length of a country yeah. which sounds completely mad yeah you start this is the biggest thing you've ever done, mm-hmm. obviously. 
did you train for it? How was your training for it? How did you feel when you started? Yeah. So the training into Malawi didn't go quite to plan. <laughs> okay. I decided to jump over a wall and hit my knee, right. um, which caused then some a lot of leg problems. A lot of my training going into Malawi was on the bike. Um, and I started... So it probably would have been better to cycle it. <laughs> yeah, it would have been. Why did I not cycle it? It would have been a lot more sensible. So I started it not in the best confidence because it hadn't gone to plan. But maybe it's better to go into these bigger things a little bit unfit because you then do get fitter as you go. Obviously, coming back into running in 2015, 2015, and this was 2016 when I ran Malawi, I'd gained probably two stone, three stone. So obviously running was felt very different doing the longer stuff than when I was racing six-minute miles. So we set off. I had a team of two two vehicles, a small support team, the charity, and a big truck, and we were going to camp the whole way down. So basically the first day we set off from the uh, Zambia border, and within five kilometres there was three, and then four, and then five, and the next minute, I've got 15 kids running with me. Um, and they're going to school. They're traveling five or 10 kilometers to school. There's no public buses. And that kind of just completely was another level. And I thought, this is this this run's going to be massive on a personal level for the team and for me. Um, and just seeing their smiles, you know, it was, again, going back to that, it was like they have a happiness, a simplicity that we're never understanding. And you realize then that we've complicated our life by so many things. And there they are, just completely live, like, just laughing and joking in that moment of that enjoyment of running with a white, big white person. What is he doing? This he looks crazy. Um, Some of the photos are mad from that challenge as well, from where yeah. you're like running and there's all of these kids like running behind you. Some of the videos as well on your Instagram and stuff yeah. are just brilliant where you're like singing and they're yeah. like singing and they're just so, so happy. Yeah, it is, it is another level. It's like they just, well, they don't have all the distractions. They don't have the phones and all that. So they, they are more, and it's like, in some ways, it's that communication, isn't it? Between mm. a human being, the connection of a stranger. There's no distraction. So that is a really beautiful thing. Um, and then I covered the first marathon that day and we camped at the first school. And there's a picture I share on my talk where I'm sat and it's, it's me on my own with t- the two tents. So we're camping all the way down. And they'd all gone off to play with the children. We'd taken footballs and netballs, and which we were given to the school as a thank you. And when we arrived, the first school we went to, they were sitting in an exam. And the school building was like, it had no roof. The, the walls were cracked. It was, like a, it was like an old cow shed that you would see in a field here that you wouldn't even think is safe to go in. And that, for me, was a really strong start to the run, that... I had to do this because I just thought I've got to make this difference. And it was just completely eye-opening in every sense of the word. And that was really the, for the next few days, you know, camping at schools, we got a real insight into the challenges. Um, you know, a lot of the people in Malawi only have one meal a day. And it certainly sort of taught me how can I moan about anything in some ways. When some people only have one meal a day running 25 marathons in 25 days suddenly doesn't actually feel like a huge thing because all you've got to do, I suppose, is put one foot in front of the other at that point. And I would imagine that having that experience on the first night as well did kind of help you get through the whole trip. Was there any part of that specific trip where you thought, this is really hard, I don't think I'm going to be able to finish this thing? 
the first, going back to that first night, like what you said was as well as the I had all those critical voices. We all have critical voices, you do. know, that we're surrounded by. You've only got to look at social media, and you know, we we are ego driven, whatever we're doing, um, and that and people don't like to admit to that, but we are. It's 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 in some ways Instagram and Twitter and all of these things are amazing, but it is all very competitive. So we've got major critical because f- we want perfection. So I was sat there thinking all of the critical voices, oh my God, I have my training's not gone well. Uh, am I going to do this? It's really hot. Have I taken on something too big? Um, okay, I ran the Wainwright coast to coast of the UK the year before. That was 192 miles in eight days. And I just kept thinking, don't think of it as the whole thing. Mm. Just think of it as I was learning, as I was going about living in that moment. And like this, the day before when I was running with those children, I wasn't thinking of anything else but that moment. And that is so rich to feel like that. And I thought, do you know what? And that's when I got that thought, that critical voice is completely out. I thought, I'm so privileged to be doing this. And let's just enjoy whatever happens. I'm getting one step to that border. And all that matters is that next step, that next emotion, that next bit of breeze, that next child. Whatever's going to come is going to be an incredible adventure. And there's going to be ups and downs. What's your mates that you used to party with in Manchester think of all this? They think, I don't think... This is completely mad. They, yeah, they just say, yeah. They laugh about it because they say to me, like, you're all or nothing. You're quite an extreme person. So I've gone from the party person that would be the last standing on a Monday morning going through from Friday to now doing this extreme. But obviously, yeah, I think it's... Still being the last one standing. Yeah, but I think think what people get is, you know, more serious. I mess around a lot, but on a more serious note... When I finished my Malawi run, a lot of my friends got quite emotional because they know how off the rails I was. And they know that the challenges, you know, I had when I used to go out. Um, and I think people are, find it quite emotional how I've turned it around and how I'm inspiring hopefully lots of people and making a big difference. And that's the two things that are most important to me. So you finish the Malawi run then. Yeah. You get to the border. Yeah. You place your foot on the border. Mm. What's that feeling like? It was just insane that I'd done it in some ways. You know, I'm not the most... I don't live in the gym. I'm not the most trained athlete. I, my diet is sometimes pretty bad. And I, what not, not annoys me, but when you when you go and talk to people and they say, oh, I've eaten loads of cake and it's not, or loads of chocolate or loads of this. And sometimes you listen to it and you think you've got no... You know, there's very cool, quite slender runners or can be, you know, whatever. And you just think you've got no idea what it's to be like when it really affects your confidence. And I think that's what's kind of diff- difficult sometimes. So, you know, I had all of that emotion of like, oh my God, I've pulled this off. And I was so passionate to come back and share the story and, and my whole story to say, look, I've come from someone that was massively overweight to achieve this. And just hope that I inspire a lot of people. And it gave my confidence an, an amazing thing. And we reached 35,000 um, to build the art and science block, which I went to visit on my run last summer. And, you know, the building's huge. They've got three science labs and an art, art and uh, crafts. And it's just incredible that together we've... I was just one person pulling it together, obviously without the people donating. But together we've created something so amazing that's going to be there for generations to come. That must have been an emotional moment. Yeah, it was really, really special. And, and to go back and have the welcome at FOMO where, you know, they look after 3,000 of them. There was thousands of people waiting for me. 
um, and Emma who supported me on the bike so I had a cyclist come in and it was just so emotional for both of us because we, she'd seen every side of me um, and she's a runner herself so she knew when to, to you know read, read the situations but going back which I think is really important um, and I do it in a lot of my talks is there's a boy three days before the end that, that we find at one of the schools and I was so tired that day because I was I'd been sick on day 14 it was the day the high commissioner was coming out and Emma was taken to hospital and I had sickness and diarrhea and it was like Michael Nevin was coming to join us for that day and I I was just being sick and there's nowhere to go because these runs you know there's no toilets we're stripped of all luxuries you know you didn't shower for 27 days and I just remember thinking of that school building on the first day and I just kept thinking, I've got to do this. And I got up and ran 14 miles that day with Michael Nevin. I was, it was a bit of a blur, whether it was sensible, I don't know, but I just kind of got into, the, into my head that I was going to do. So I was playing catch up. So these, this last three days before the end, uh, I sat down and I was just, I was tired and I could see this boy dragging his body along the floor. And I said to the team, I said, I can't, I can't look right now. It was just it was just too emotional, and I'd had some drink and you know a little bit of food, and then I went and sat with him, and I just couldn't grasp his story. Um, he was disabled; he wasn't going to school anymore. Both his parents died, um, and his life was on the floor, and I just couldn't grasp. I couldn't get my head around it, and I think I took this mentality into my Africa run last year. I thought the heat. All of this pain, all of these things that aren't going to plan, they're just temporary. They're insignificant. Because there's this guy that's dragging his body on the floor. It puts so much in life into perspective for me. I thought, how can I moan about anything? Anyway, it's beautiful because FOMA had a wheelchair and I went back three days after and we gave him the wheelchair. So he's going back to school. So that was a real special moment. So, you know, tying that all together, it was an amazing, amazing run of ups and downs, running in extreme temperatures, to seeing extreme heat, to being stripped away from, you know, finishing a marathon and having water in the truck that's not been in a fridge. It tested me in every sense of the word. You don't get a medal at any finish point during that run, do you? Mm. Any one of those 25 marathons, no one no. is there to hang a medal around no. your neck <laughs> no. and give you a finisher t-shirt. It's no. just you grinding out those days. Yeah, and, and quite lonely sometimes. Mm. So you get back then, mm-hmm. you get back to Manchester, Yeah, and that's the first challenge done. Yeah. How soon, when you get back, do you start thinking, I have to do something else? Yeah, so that year I was an ordnance survey get-outside champion. There was 11 of us selected. So I already made my pledge earlier in the year that I felt that if I had run the length of Malawi, I'd be in good shape with the mileage to then run the length of Great Britain. And that was kind of fitting because it was five years after I cycled it. So I then went on uh, the end of September and started off in John O'Groats. It was very different that day. When I cycled it, I couldn't even see any islands. It was just the sea had filled in and I was just like, oh, let's start. Well, this time there wasn't a cloud in the sky. We didn't leave till midday because I was like, this is just... Yeah, it's too beautiful. It was like, you never see the island. You never see, because I've been on holiday to Scotland. I was like, you don't never see it this clear. So I set off in in midday, um, and that was the start of my John O'Groats Land's End run. That must have felt special, because obviously you're running through your home, essentially. You're running across this island Mm. after running across Mm. the mainland country that's Mm. totally... Eclipsed by other countries, yeah. it must have felt pretty special to run through Great Britain. 
Yeah, it was it was an incredible and in, in some ways it was very perfect because it wasn't until you land back after because being in Malawi became normal. Mm. But it's not until you come back that you realise, oh my gosh. Every time I come back I turn on the tap in the in the in the bathroom and I get quite emotional because I think this is such a privilege to have this. So for me to have all that time on my own, especially running through I went I did the Great Glen and the West Highland Way. You know, we we do live on an amazing island, but to have all that time to, to just process what I'd done, what I'd seen, um, was almost a perfect for me to adapt back into the UK. And it was really lovely because uh, people had been either following my Malawi run or or read about it, and then people started to reach out and say, would you like to stay here? And, I, and there was a family in Tarn that I stayed with, and their son was incredible, and he gave his pocket money to donate to FOMO and it, I shared all my videos about Malawi to him so that was kind of the story all the way down really and going back to people that want to be inspired to do a venture you know not everyone can afford to go to go home and I think that sometimes you know we do all these talks but there is a lot of money involved behind it I'm very lucky because I've scaled my life to not owning much mm. um, doing lots of agency work in the past so I can take that time off but for lots of people reality is you know, it's financially very, very you can't, if you've got a family or, you know, I'm not saying you can't, but I think realistically, lots of people are in situations, but if you've got lots of debt, you can't do it. Yeah. Um, so do you feel privileged then? I don't, I don't think, well, I don't know privilege is the right, I just feel very fortunate. I feel very, like, I know I've made choices to do this, but yeah, I do in some ways, because you, especially running across Africa last summer was... You know, there's so many people that have never gone to going to get on a plane in the world. So in some ways, I feel really, really fortunate to do it. When you were doing John O'Groats to Land's End, mm. let's just go back there quickly before yeah. we flash forward. To the <laughs> flash forward. <laughs> was it a bit weird running a lot of the places that you cycled? And I recognise the same names, but because my my cycle was on road and I tried to go off road on this one, so that and that was what was so beautiful at this So anyone that wants to go and do an adventure, you don't have to go abroad. You can do it here, and we live on the most beautiful island. So really, from Inverness to Fort William was the Great Glen. So that was all off road. From Fort William down to Glasgow was West Highland Way. So all through Glencoe, breathtaking, dramatic scenery. Then I took all B roads. Uh, down through to the border and then from the Lake District all to Manchester I, I did the canal path oh, so, so yeah, you know so you, that was stunning and a completely different feeling and, and from the, the you know the mountains of Scotland um, and then coming down all through Dartmoor and then I finished on the southwest coastal path that was just breathtaking. Yeah, we had Elise down in on actually, and she said that the coastal path was mind-boggling as well. It's just absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, it's absolutely, and it's it's so beautiful. And and you know, I'd recommend anyone to go and walk parts of it. You know, that I think the total bit on the southwest is six hundred and thirty. Well, you could do that over time. You don't have to necessarily do it all in one go. There was one section where I went up, and then everyone was looking down to this bay, and there was seals. Um, and it was really nice because my family came down to Land's End and saw me come in and obviously it was a double celebration because really it was like a Malawi and um, John O'Groats double. When I did come into Manchester and Preston where the charity's based back up north, obviously they all came out, all of FOMO, and that was really special. And then there's a guy, an incredible runner called Ben Fish, 
I used to work for Adidas. He used to be uh, in the up and running when it was in the triangle. And he, I think, I forget what his marathon time is, 2.20 something. Um, but he was running went before I was running. Mm. And I remember chatting to him once and he's like, I do marathons. And I was like, wow, you, <laughs> you run a, you've run a marathon. That's incredible. And he came out and ran with me for a section. And to be in someone's company like that, that is ultimately become one of my inspirations. And I was excited by the time I got to London. I got to Bristol. I mean, people that followed. I remember speaking to Ben this weekend. And he said, when you were coming into Manchester, you were in great shape. Um, and when I was coming into Bristol, I felt like I could run back up to John O'Groats. I literally was becoming fitter. Did you consider and fitter. it? Did yeah. you consider it? <laughs> I, I had to get back to work. <laughs> I was very excited when I finished because I knew already, obviously, what we're going to go on and talk about. Yeah. But I already knew the next challenge. Um, and to finish in that shape with no niggles, I thought, yeah, I'm capable of doing something bigger. Trust me when I say what we've talked about to this point is just the start of it. On the next episode of Why in the World, part two, where we get into his 4,000 kilometre journey from one side of Africa to the other and delve into his next monumental challenge as well. As always, rate, review and subscribe. And please let me know what you think of this podcast by dropping me a tweet or a message on Instagram. I am at Ben Shepherd or at Ben Shepherd 93 If you would like to see what Brendan is up to at the moment as well, you can check out his social media on Twitter and on Instagram. He is at Brendan Rendell. I will speak to you next week.